Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Last week I had a great chat with Mark Foley about the good news uh, and all, all kinds of other topics that we touched on, but we've asked Mark to share a sermon with us. So Mark, can you just share as we, before we listen to it, why did you pick this sermon as the one you wanted us to listen to? Sure. So I was, um, we just started a series in John's Gospel and it was just after Easter this year. Right. Uh, I was still getting used to the whole Facebook sermon mm. presentation, so it was a whole new experience for me. Um, but I was really wanting to encourage people to be reminded that God's in control, we can trust him, we don't need to be overwhelmed, mm-hmm. um, and that God speaks to us in surprising ways. And so to be attentive to God during this period, um, which has been a strong theme for me throughout this period, to mm-hmm. try and say, let's not look at our circumstances and situations, but let's look to God. Fantastic. It resonates with a lot of things we heard you talk about last week. Yeah. So look it was, just if I may, it was recorded on my phone outside the front of my house under a tree where the birds love to sing. Wow. Okay. I had lots of comments about the noise of the birds, so if you're struggling to hear, you might just need to turn it up. <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's good Good to know. So we're not listening to you inside a church. We can picture you outside the front yep. of your house. Under my barley hut. Excellent. Looking forward to listening to it. John chapter 1 from verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why are you baptizing? Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Then we pick it up in John chapter 3. And Jesus has just been speaking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. 
And John picks up the story after this. Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let us pray. Fathers, we come today to listen to you. We put ourselves in a place to be open to what you would say because we want to hear you speak. We want to hear you your words of life, your words of hope, and we want to be obedient to your words of direction. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us now. Cause us to know afresh your love for us and the joy of being uh, joined with you in your work in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the character of John the Baptist. Of all the people in the Bible, I love people like Jacob and Gideon, Jonah and Jeremiah, just to name a few. But for whatever reason, John the Baptist tops the list. It's not so much his miraculous birth, which was just such a blessing to his parents, and certainly not because of his untimely, tragic and pointless death on the whim of a megalomaniac just to satisfy his ego. It's more because of the image that John the Baptist conjures in my mind. His personality, his history, his appearance and his message paint a vivid and enthralling picture. John has been living in the desert for over 10 years with a bunch of passionate hermits. The mainstay of his diet has been locusts and wild honey. Now he emerges from his self-imposed hibernation to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. He comes to prepare the way for the Lord and to baptize those who are keen to make sure that they were ready to receive the kingdom of God. I picture John coming dressed in a barely tanned camel's hide, reeking of partly rotting flesh, hairy with a beard completely out of control and matted with a mixture of honey and trapped bees and grasshopper legs sticking out. 
this fearsome man bursts onto the public stage and is found proclaiming at the top of his voice, repent. And people respond. They flock to him. They listen to what he says and they change their ways. St. John, in his account, is relatively gentle and nurturing, but Luke pulls no punches, recording with all its brutal force John's denunciation of the half-hearted and the lukewarm, and any who take repentance, who fail to take repentance seriously. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with your repentance. In fact, even the political heavyweights of the day, John pulled no punches. To Herod the Tetrarch, he had, John had reproved him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. Funny, this image of John the Baptist, I have a similar image of Jonah, still reeking from being inside the belly of a great fish with his clothes and hair matted with its half-digested contents, wandering through Nineveh, crying, Repent! God's judgment is at hand! Wouldn't you? If such a character burst into our homes or our churches with such a message, either that or perhaps we just recoil in horror, call the police and have him locked up as a madman. I often wonder what this says about me, that I like characters like this. Perhaps it's the sort of preacher I secretly want to be, completely unconcerned about what others think of me, boldly calling people to repentance with no thought of how they might react. But what does it also say about all of us in how we feel and react to people who don't fit in, who may be different or a bit odd, people who make us feel a bit uncomfortable. We choose to denounce them, ignore them, or perhaps even have them removed from us so we don't feel uncomfortable, so we don't have to change. One thing we can certainly say about John is that he was not concerned about what others thought of him. He was his own person, or perhaps more accurately, God's own person, God's appointed messenger, and that is what really mattered. That's the only thing that mattered for John. Malachi had predicted at the, uh, John's coming at the end of the Old Testament with these words, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And similarly, the prophet Isaiah had predicted a time when God would break into our world to decisively act. He described it this way. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then we might even remember from the beginning of Luke, John was when John was miraculously conceived, and the angel came announcing this to his disbelieving parents, saying, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear your son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will grant 
be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so, even from the outset, we begin to see that John the Baptist was different. He was unique. His identity established and the purpose of his life determined. From the outset, the gospel writers make this clear. He's sent from God. He's a witness to God. He is the messenger of the Lord, the one who announces the coming of the Messiah, the one who helps us prepare to make sure we're ready. And John himself was clear about this. He understood his purpose and his mission. Who are you? The priests and Levites asked. Why have you come? Why should we listen to you? And how come you do all these things? And without hesitation, John was able to answer, as well as knowing clearly who he wasn't, I'm not the Christ. He knew very well who he was, and he knew why he had come. I'm the voice, the one the prophet spoke of, and I have come to prepare the way. We see in chapter 3, I in fact, in the best man of the bridegroom. This joy of mine is now complete, he said. He must increase, but I must decrease. I have two thoughts about this. Did John achieve his purpose with me? Am I ready? Have I? Do I respond as I should to Jesus? Did John appropriately prepare the way so that I might be ready for Jesus. And secondly, learning from John's own personal example, what does it take for you and I to know our place, to be comfortable with, if necessary, being second fiddle, not being in the limelight, allowing others to become greater while you fade into obscurity, to be people who live their lives so that Jesus might be glorified, not us. This is how John understood himself and his role, and he was comfortable with it. You could say, even proud of it, and with good reason. Jesus, speaking of John later, could say that no man born of woman was greater than John. This willingness to be insignificant, at least in the, eye, in the world's eyes, to become overlooked and, or disregarded, it takes something special. It requires a confidence in who you are, what your role is, what your purpose is. It takes deep knowing that your worth is not determined by what other people think, only how well you feel your God-ordained task. In John's case, that was to point to the significance of the person that he was introducing. I've been blessed in my life to have a number of people who have understood the importance of this. People who get that serving God is not about them and being noticed, but about the ministry God's called them to being effective. Often, funnily enough, those in the church with administrative gifts, as they serve within the church, get this. And here, certainly within Grange, the church of Grange, that's especially true. 
It's also true for those who quietly, without fuss or fanfare, serve on rosters, provide partial care, or offer practical assistance to others. What I've noticed about many of these folk is that they know it's actually not about them. They are happy if no one notices what they do and certainly not who does it. All they care about is that the work is being done, God is glorified, and people are encouraged. And it seems to me that these folk, to do this, these folk have a very good sense of who they are. They know deeply that life is about God, serving and exalting God because God loves them. They are his. And this is something that they grasp, they've received, they value. As a result, they don't have to prove themselves, defend their actions or trumpet their ministry. There's this quiet and assured confidence from knowing who they are in Christ and what God has called them to be and to do. To have such people is a blessing. To be such a person is a great gift. Certainly true of John the Baptist. We see this again in chapter 3 where John records, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, because he must increase. I must decrease. Here again, John shows that he knows and loves his place. He understands what life's about. I'm the best man, he says. My job is to serve the bridegroom, to ensure that everything is perfect and ready for him. And I will know if I've been faithful, done a good job, when the bridegroom appears and everything is ready. In our culture, the role of the best man is a little nondescript. It's a bit inconsequential, really. But if we alter the metaphor just a little to that of the bridesmaid, the matron of honour, it might be a bit easier to grasp. Having had three daughters already get married and had the privilege of performing many weddings, I know the stress and expectations for the day. It is important that everything goes just right. But not just the day, is it? From the moment the wedding party is announced, the bridesmaids are chosen, their job description is determined. They know that my job is to make sure that everything leading up to and including the wedding is perfect. The engagement party, the bridal shower, the hen's night, the pre-wedding dinner, and especially, particularly, most importantly, the wedding day itself. See, it's not about me. Nothing is too much to ask. I'm on the lookout for what else I can do. The privilege and responsibility of the role is all about meeting the needs, the expectations and the as yet unknown desires of the bride. And if I have done this, then I've done my job. John the Baptist understood this was his role. He knew its importance. He knew it was all about Jesus and he knew knew the joy and privilege of fulfilling it. Isn't that also true for us? The other thing we see is that not only did John the Baptist know who he is and why he had come, 
But he was able to do his job because he recognized who Jesus was and why Jesus had come. In fact, it was exactly because he knew the significance and importance of the one for whom he was preparing the way. It was easy to live a life serving God and honoring God because he understood who God was. John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Luke 3.16, I baptise with water, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. As you read these two passages, perhaps even as I read the passages earlier today, it stands out. John was completely in awe of the one who was to come the one he was to introduce, the one who was now here. I'm just the bridegroom. I'm certainly not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to untie his bootstraps. He must increase. I'm happy to fade into oblivion. He was before all things, and he has come as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Surely it is this recognition the fact that he sees Jesus for who he truly is, knows what Jesus has come to do, understands the importance and significance of Jesus and all that that will mean. And it's this which best enables John to fulfill his role and do his task. And so it is for us. Our best resource, the thing that will enable us to know who we are and what we're supposed to do with our lives is to know who Jesus is. It is to understand what Jesus has done for us and to experience his transforming action in our lives. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, including my sin. In fact, even to call him the Lamb of God says so much. Those who heard John refer to him this way couldn't help but think back to the Passover lamb being sacrificed or to the prophet Isaiah, we're looking forward to the coming Messiah, said that he was oppressed and afflicted, that he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And then later in that same passage, Isaiah 53, this lamb would bear the sins of many. John got this. And that's what enabled him to do what he did, to be who he was, and to embrace his role in preparing for Jesus. And so it can be for us. When we know who Jesus is, when we encounter Jesus, when we allow Jesus to transform our lives, when John the Baptist has achieved his task in us and we're ready to respond to Jesus, this is exactly what happens. We're completely changed. We know we're welcomed into God's family, loved, embraced and cherished. We know our place in the world, who we are and why we're here to participate with God in his plans, to join with him in reconciling all things to himself, to use our gifts, our talents and our passions for his glory, to have the privilege of being used by him to bless others. All of this happens as we heed the Baptist's message to repent and receive Jesus. And if I have, then not only have I followed 
John's example, but John's purpose has been achieved in me. Damien, not his real name, was a good church kid. His parents were upstanding members of the local Baptist church and very likeable people. And Damien, the oldest of three boys, was fun, energetic and actively involved in the life of the church. In fact, he had to be. It was just the way it was for his family. But his attitude, his behaviour, his manner was nothing like Jesus. He was arrogant, demanding and very indifferent to those who struggled. Like his parents, image, comfort and to be seen to do the right thing seemed to be what mattered most. What people think of you drove, drove everything. His, his emptiness inside constantly compelled him to make sure he was always dressed and acted to impress. I remember how upset he'd been at the thought that his new basketball shoes would get dirty when as a youth group we went to work in the garden of some elderly folk from church and how furious his parents had been when they did. But even more painfully, I remember how dismissive, even rude and abusive he had often been when we saw someone who was doing life tough. How horrible it was when we were driving past someone just a little, who was just a little bit different and he and the other young people would wind down the window and make some unkind remark or comment for their own amusement. As part of my privilege of journeying with Damien and his mates over a number of years through high school, we would meet together each week and read the Bible. I would attempt to do a Bible study and struggle not to become too frustrated and angry at their rude behaviour and refusal to listen. And, but still, he would often be in our home, and sometimes we'd actually be able to talk about what it really means to follow Jesus. One day I even lent him my car with the words, try not to wreck it, only to have him sheepishly return some hours later saying, uh, we've rolled your car. <laughs> but I knew something was sinking in when what shocked him was my response. I showed no concern for the car, only for the well-being of him and his mates. On another time, a number of us spent a week at Westcare serving the homeless of Adelaide, serving meals, chatting with them in the courtyard and helping to renovate one of the homeless shelters. On the first day of this task, as we sat on the kitchen floor scraping lino, we were joined by one of the residents. He came in, tattooed, earrings, covering his nose, ears and most likely other parts of his body, fortunately unseen, and sporting this impressive red mohawk. Now remember, this was the early 90s. Damien had never seen anyone like this, and certainly never spent any time with such a person. I mean, why would he? Anyway, this guy walks in. He walks up to Damien, sticks out his hand to shake, and announces, Hi, my name's Ray, and I'm gay. It was one of those moments. I had no idea what was going to happen next. Ray was the sort of person Damien loved to ridicule, to pick on, to belittle, to dismiss, and whenever he could, to ignore completely. It made him somehow feel stronger, superior, a bit self-satisfied. But to respond poorly in this setting would look bad. So what could he do? His only option was to put on a brave face and make the best of it. And as a result, Damien was profoundly changed. 
Over the hours that followed, as Damien and Ray scraped the floor together, they chatted. They told stories, shared about their past experiences, laughed, and even cried together. During the time, Damien would tell Ray of what he knew about Jesus, and Ray would tell Damien of what it meant to be broken, to feel discarded, rejected. And as a result, Ray, through Ray, Damien encountered Jesus for the first time, really encountered Jesus, or should I say Jesus encountered him. As Ray shared honestly of his brokenness and pain, Damien experienced something of God's heart for all, and, what, and that what matters most is not what's on the outside, but what we know deep within, who we are inside. Damien told me later that of all the things that I did during his teenage years in youth ministry, that, that few days with Ray on the kitchen floor at Westcare was the most powerful thing of all. It's what changed him the most. If you like, Ray was, John, was Damien's John the Baptist. For Ray helped Damien see Jesus. He helped him prepare for Jesus. He helped him repent of his arrogance, pride and self-righteousness. He helped him encounter Jesus and experience Jesus' loving, welcoming embrace that no church, previous church experience had managed. And he helped him discover that what Damien wanted to do more than anything else in his life was to help others love was to love others as Jesus loved them, and like John the Baptist, to point others to Jesus, point all people to Jesus, whoever they are, whatever challenges they face, point them to Jesus. And Damien is still doing that today. You see, in that encounter, Damien discovered what he had been told in church for years, to meet Jesus, to... Truly be a follower of Jesus begins with repentance, a turning from our own self-reliance and pride, a recognition that to do life my way needs to be relinquished, given up. Whether that be an arrogant, conceited hypocrite, like me, like Damien, or to be a broken person struggling to make life work, acutely aware of your own failures, like Ray. All of us need to give up and tell God we need his help. And when he did, Damien discovered that God loved him, God cherished him, God delighted in him so much that it no longer mattered what other people thought of him. Knowing he was God's child, knowing that God had called him into his family, knowing that God wanted him to join him in sharing this great news, well, now life has a purpose and meaning. This was really something to get excited about. And it changed everything for Damien. And it can change everything for you. Like John the Baptist, God wants you to know who you are that you are loved by him and you're called to live for him, to serve him and find your purpose in your relationship with him. And when I, when you discover this, then John the Baptist achieves his purpose in me and in you. 
I become ready to be changed, to be renewed, to receive God's Spirit, to be forgiven and restored. My relationship with the living God is ready to be set right. Why not pray with me now? Father, we thank you for John the Baptist and for people like John the Baptist who point us to Jesus, to help us realise our need for repentance and restoration and that it can only be found as we turn to you. We thank you that you call us to be like John the Baptist, to have our security that we know who we are because of our relationship with you and because of your call on our life to serve you. Help us to be people who truly respond to you, to trust you and who know you, who experience your lavish love that surrounds us and holds us and that therefore empowers us to live lives that serve others and that treat everyone we meet with, meet with great dignity and respect, even as we desire to see them encounter you and be transformed by you. Father, thank you that you offer that to us. Help us today afresh to trust you and to receive you and the gift of your spirit into our lives and to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with another special guest.